Or Stephen Carr, uh, although he, that just is not happening with Stephen Carr right now. And yeah. uh, T. Martin had indicated earlier in the season that he might be looking for the home run a little bit too much. And that might be what we're seeing. Uh, I think really more than the running backs, so the issue is with the offensive line and the play design. I still think that those are the two biggest issues probably on the entire team. Yeah, that, I, I totally agree with you there. And if anyone wants to kind of hear our, our more animated thoughts on that topic, you can go back and listen to the Monday podcast. But today, we have a special topic. Um, all season long, we've been going through the uh, weekly pro football focus grades. Pro football focus, if you're not aware, is a really cool site. Uh, we've kind of linked up within the season. And they break down every player on every snap and give a grade between plus two or minus two for every player on every snap as they view that player's responsibility and execution and then they convert all that data into a a game grade that's on a zero to 100 scale and uh, you know the quarterback grades have been most confusing to me but everything else I think makes a lot of sense And, and they don't just factor in the outcome of the play. They'll factor in, was that ball completion, but was it also, should it have been picked off? And they'll mark off for that. So it's not just about the pure outcome. It's about what could have happened in the way that play was executed. So we're going to go through the season grades this year. We haven't really revealed those to you guys yet. Each week we post the, the game grades. We're going to go through the season grades for USC on both sides of the ball and uh, get Adam's thoughts, my thoughts, and see if the eye test matches the PFF data. I'm sure it won't. <laughs> <laughs> well, this will be a fun experiment. And we're going to start with a little a little uh, game where we're going to see if Adam can guess the top five rated players on both sides of the ball. So I have all the data in front of me. Um, he's going to come into this blind, and let's just dive in and start with the offense. If you had to tell me who you think would be the five highest graded players on the USC offense for the season. 
who is that list for you? Okay. Now, I, I've not seen this. I am guessing here. I should at least get three, I feel like. I'm not going to get all five, but I should Pretty get fair. three. Yeah. Okay. Michael Pittman. Are, do I have to name all five, or are you going to tell me whether I'm right or not? Okay, yeah, we, we can go with each one. Michael Pittman is in the top five. Yes, he's yeah. five. All right. Five. Okay. He's number five? Number five. Uh-oh. All right. <laughs> I'd feel better if he were higher, but okay. <laughs> Michael Pittman. Uh, now, is there like a minimum snap count here? Yes, yes. Yeah, so okay, good. I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to eliminate anyone who has not played a healthy majority of the yeah, snaps. Yeah, because I know Matt Fink had a pretty high grade in the last game, but that was the most action he had seen. Yeah, he's played 38 snaps all season, whereas Michael Pittman's played 362. Yeah, so, okay. Yeah. All right, cool. All right. So among regular players, Michael Pittman, I'm going to guess Vivai. Number four on the list, Vivai Malapai. Yeah, let's just do this uh, f- backwards, five through one. Yeah. Okay. Two for two. <laughs> well, they love Chuma. Yeah, you just missed. Chuma's number six. Okay. All right. I, well, I knew he had like, to be high. You're thinking along the right lines. You've seen the weekly grades. Yeah. I have seen the weekly grades. I just kind of remembered all of them. But uh, Chuma is loved by PFF. And I think I made a comment before. Find someone that looks at you the way PFF looks at Chuma. Okay. Uh, gosh, everyone gets so pro. I'm looking at the Utah grades because that's the only ones I, I can pull up right now. And everyone rated so poorly that it's hard to pick these other guys. Uh, well, okay. I'll, I'll tell you, of the remaining three in the top five, yeah. one will be a surprise, and the other two, you could probably guess. Okay. I'm going to guess I'm on Ross St. Brown. Number two on the list. Okay. The true freshman receiver is number two. <laughs> and, then, and then we'll go through the exact grades after this little experiment sure. and, and elaborate more on these. Okay. I, I guess four, huh? I got three out of four. Yeah, and, and because Chuma was split on the line at six, I'm going to give you an extra guess. You could still possibly nail all five of these. Uh, I, I'm not really confident right now. I'm gonna, I just feel like I'm totally guessing. Um, I, see, I know JT Daniels has had some really low marks and some high ones. I'm not sure if when you put it all together, that makes him... So he's not number five, but you know that. I'm looking for number three and number one. I should I should know number one. I don't. I'm going to guess JT is number three. JT is not anywhere near the top five. <laughs> okay. He's in your top five. He's in your top one. He is your number one. No, no, no. I just have a little different perspective on, yeah. on Mr. Daniel. Find but, someone that looks at you the way Ryan looks at JK. Okay. I'm going to say Tyler Petit. Oh, no, no. You started so strong. Too. I know. Oh, man. I become, I'm looking at the Utah grades. He graded out really well in that game. So what you I'm basically done. did there, you basically approximated USC's performance at Utah. You started so strong yeah. and then went right off a cliff, <laughs> head first off a cliff. Okay. So, so let's go through the top five sure. and, and, and the rest of the notable guys. 
and we'll just see if, uh, if these grades match what you've seen this season. All right, Tyler Vaughn, Stephen Carr. That's, that was my real guess. Uh, no, no. So, uh, <laughs> no, no, number one is Akacetric Ware. Ah! 78.3. Because he didn't play in this game, so that's what threw me off. But that's that, I should have gotten that. Yeah, and he's, he's gotten a, an 80.8 grade for rushing, 76.6 for pass blocking. So PFF has been pretty high on, on said wear. Number two, as you mentioned, was Amon Ra, St. Brown, 75.5. Number three on oh, the list. There's got to be a lineman. It's going to surprise, I think, a lot of our listeners and yourself. Chris Brown. Okay. 75.1. All right. He's gotten an 87.5 grade for pass blocking and a 72.3 for run blocking. Okay. Number four, by Malapai. Yeah. 71.7. And those are the only four offensive players with a grade of 70 or higher. Um, Michael Pittman at five, 69.9, started slow. He's been the highest rated player the last two weeks. Yeah. For them, so he's really coming on. That's That definitely matches the eye test. Uh, any any reactions you want to have to that top five before we carry on? No, I... I think Cedric Ware has been really good, and I felt like in the, in the times when he couldn't run, he didn't have a chance. I felt like, as opposed to Stephen Carr, who again, I like his ceiling more, but I do feel like you see him kind of taking his time behind the line, going sideways, and not hitting the hole. And Ware does not run like that, and Ware is usually good for a couple yards, he's falling forward. But when he's tackled in the background, or in, in the backfield, excuse me, then that means that that play sucked. That's what we've seen, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, Whereas with Carr, it might be that Carr made the wrong read or just getting to check the hole. Yeah, like, like bad flashbacks. I can uh, almost immediately conjure up a handful of images of Sedware getting the ball and being immediately swarmed in the backfield. Yeah. No chance, so... I'm with you there. Uh, number six on the list, Chuma Idoga, fan favorite, uh, 69.2. He's gotten an 89.2 for pass blocking, which is their highest rated pass blocker, but only a 61.1 for run blocking. Hmm. And he's been flagged for five penalties. Uh, number seven, uh, PFF, really, really high on the USC offensive line. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so, talk about <laughs> unique perspectives. Austin Jackson, number seven. Yeah. 60, 69.1. So, that's three of the five so yeah. far. Okay. So, so, three of the top seven graded offensive players are linemen. Yeah. Uh, 76.7 pass blocking, 65.7 run blocking. Then we go to Tyler Vaughn's, 65.5. Okay. Overall grade. We go to Stephen Carr, sixty-five point one. Any reactions before I carry on down the line? Well, I thought we were going to go through each guy and just kind of think, tell whether we thought he should be sure. higher or lower. Yeah, so I'm not really sure where you're going right now, so I'm just letting you go. I'm, I'm on a roll. I can't be <laughs> you're on a roll. Yeah, I won't interrupt ever again. Okay, so, so let's, let's back up to Chuma then. Let's back up to Chuma. And, you know, it, it, you have to really watch the offensive line 
and just keep your focus there for full, through full plays to have a true evaluation of that unit. At least I do. So I'm going to tell you right off the bat, I am not the best uh, evaluator of individual offensive line play. So I, I don't have any empirical evidence to argue with them, aside from knowing that the unit itself hasn't impressed me this fall. But what are your thoughts on, on Chuma and Austin Jackson being ranked so high? Well, I have a comment on that. I want to know first, where are Toa Lovendong and, uh, and Andrew Voorhees? Toa is going to be a ways down in this conversation. Okay. And then Voorhees is where? And Voorhees is uh, coming up soon. Okay. Voorhees is at 61.3 and Toa is at 55.6. Got it. Because... They've rated three of them high relative to their teammates. I don't know if these are good grades relative to the competition. They might not be. Right? Chris Brown is the highest rated one. Is his grade... Like, where would it rank in the Pac-12? Well, I don't think they they don't grade it on a scale relative to your teammates. It's really broken down on what they see on an individual play. No, no, I know that. All these responsibilities. But so. you're telling me he's in USC's top five, which might not mean anything if yeah. USC's top five is low. Sure, sure. I would I would think a seventy five point one is probably at least respectable conference wide. Yeah. But I don't have the conference data in front of me. But what I do have are the grades for Alabama this season, the best team in all the land. So this will give some better perspective or a reference point for what these grades mean for really, really good teams. Yeah, they're the gold standard, right? Not just, you know, for a team, but even line play. Exactly. So so Alabama, and, and we'll get to the line right away, but you know, their highest graded player is, is Tua, their quarterback, 92.7. And again, any grade in the 90s, I've noticed, is very rare. So that's that's the very elite of the elite players. So it's not like taking a test in school and getting an A is a 90 and above. 90s are pretty exclusive grades. Um, as far as the Alabama offensive line, though, their top lineman is their tackle, Jonah Williams, at 89.3. Okay. And then they have their two guards at 75.9 and 74.7. So those guys are right around where Chris Brown's at. And then they have the one guy way higher. So that's, I'm not sure what that tells you, but that's, that would be the reference point for what a really good line is being graded out as. For USC, they had a 75 and then remind me, two seventies. Yeah. So Chris Brown, 75.1. And then Chuma Idoga is sixty nine point two, and Austin Jackson sixty nine point one. Okay. So they they have one player over seventy, whereas Alabama has three guys at seventy four or higher. Yeah, but but the, the two number two and three for USC are not that far behind. Number one was pretty far behind. They're number one. Right. So that tells me that USC's offensive line, player for player, is not abysmal. Yeah, I, I think those grades are probably going to be the most surprising thing anyone hears in this podcast. Really. Yeah, and I think for a while we've been led to believe that these players weren't good enough. And while I know that they're not high-end NFL prospects, 
I don't buy that they're all bad. And and maybe they're playing poorly at times. You know, at different points, different guys. But these aren't bad players. I, I think it's a bad offense. I think it's a bad system that's putting them in bad position. But I don't I don't think there's this coincidence that they all happen to be playing bad all the time when they didn't before. I mean, we're talking about people that had played better football previously. I mean, Toa Lovingon was USC's best offensive lineman as a true freshman more than four years ago. Yeah. It, it doesn't make sense how players have regressed or how, as a unit, the line is underperforming so much. Yeah, and, and now Toa is at a 55.6. He's one of the lowest-graded players in the team. And Andrew Voorhees is at 61.3. So, and if you want to break them down further in terms of pass blocking and run blocking, um, Toa is actually a 75 in pass blocking, but a 54.5 in run blocking is, is, of course, knocked down for his snapping. Uh, Voorhees is a 73 in pass blocking and 57.3 in run blocking. And really, the only offensive lineman graded well in run blocking for USC would be Chris Brown at 72.3. Shim was a 61.1, Austin Jackson a 65.7. So, it, as we've harped on and touched on the struggles running the ball, I think you can say that the unit overall has not been great, but maybe the, the overall grades, when you factor in every facet of playing the line, are probably higher than we would have guessed. I had my bi-weekly interview with Neil Calloway. Your bi-weekly <laughs> showdown with Neil Calloway. Yeah. And I uh, asked him, I peppered him, if you will, with a few different questions because there's just a lot that we don't understand. And he's not really one to... To help us with that, but I don't have anyone to go to, anyone else uh, on the team. So, first I asked him if he was considering any personnel changes, and he flatly told me no. Like, like, well, like kind of like stopped almost, like, why would you even ask that? I, I don't know, Neil. <laughs> I mean, I've just been watching this team every day, and, you know... It, it, it looked to be like a legitimate question. Yeah, uh, and, and just a real quick interjection. I, I asked T. Martin after the game because he brought up the snapping issues. Yeah. And, and I said, well, on that note, do you reconsider making a change there? And I don't want to, you know, read into his words too much or his intent, but I sensed a little exasperation. He goes, that, you know, Clay and Neil talk about that every week. That's that's their decision. So it, it, it's clear, it's not a move that he can make himself. Yeah, in fact, I asked about that too, and he said Toa only had two bad ones, which I don't think that's true. I seem to remember more than two, but two is still a lot, unfortunately, and USC did not run a lot of plays in that game, so that two is even heavier than it would be in maybe a different game where they had more than 10 first downs. Uh, Yeah. The, the other question I had was about what happened versus Utah. And he just said they're a good defensive line uh, that, that won more battles. Uh, but he was pleased with the pass protection. Uh, 
uh, I guess. Right? I mean, I don't know. I, I do feel like JT did hold the ball too long on some occasions. On other occasions, he was running for his life. And you know, he got knocked out. Finally, where, where I really hoped that he could provide some insight, I asked him in general, you know, what does he feel like is missing from this offensive line? What is maybe the X factor that if they could solve would that unit to flourish? And I'm going to just quote him here. He said, I think you can always get better. There's always room for improvement no matter which way you go. Fact. Yeah. So he doesn't know either. And it would be nice to get some candor from him because that's that's just not a position that I am trained to break down individually. I don't want to speak for you, but I think you really have to you have to watch the line play through the entire play every snap to really have a sense for who is truly doing well, who's not, other than just judging them as a unit. And you know, he's the guy that works with these guys individually. He does break it down that way, so it'd be nice to get his thoughts. Yeah. But we're not going to. No, Clay actually will. Clay will go there, and he reiterated that it wasn't a matter of missed assignments. He said it was more physical beats. Right. Which I'm sure was part of the issue, but if they weren't having a lot of missed assignments, that tells me that while they were probably doing fine executing, the plays weren't good. It goes back to that for me. That, yeah, they, they carried out the assignments. Maybe, they, yeah, they could have been more physical. That might be an issue maybe in, in the run game. Uh, maybe less so than pass protection, I would say. Um, but at the end of the day, it, it doesn't matter if they carry out their assignments if the plays aren't drawn up very well. If they're not working, if they're not beating the defense. And... and how can you not point to that when you have 10 first downs? And 10's being generous. They had five up until the final drive. Yeah. That's eight, your eight, offense, man. Eight three and outs. And yeah. it, it was it was thoroughly stunting. It was hard to watch. And I'm sure it was hard for the USC defense to watch, even though they weren't having their best game. That just compounds everything. Yeah. So let's, let's move on from the line because I think we've – We've said all we can say about that situation, and I'm going to go through each individual guy, their grade, and you just kind of tell us if it surprises you if you think it's too high or too low. But again, to give you more perspective on what these grades look like for a national championship contending team, on Alabama, okay, their top 14 guys who have played at least 100 snaps on offense yeah. are, are all graded at 70 or above. Okay. For USC, in comparison, they have four guys total at 70 or above on the offense. Now, so. yeah, and that would seem right. I would, I would assume Alabama, who's been arguably the best offense in college football. I know they have the reputation on defense, but they've been excellent on the other side of the ball as well. They, they should be graded much higher. If you look at 
the prospects that they that they brought in in terms of recruiting over the last four years compared to USC, these teams aren't that far apart. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. That's a good way to look at it. Compare the recruiting rankings and then compare these grades and see really the, the development laid out right before you. Um, we'll get to the USC defense after we do the offense, but just to wrap up Bama, their top 14 defensive players with a significant number of snaps are also all over 70. And they have two guys in, in the 90s, two more in the 80s. So kind of use that as a barometer as we go through this just to maybe see what the gap is. Okay. But we had you guess the top five earlier. We're going to go back through everyone now and just do some real quick hit stuff on each guy. So when I say Akacentric Ware, 78.3, what what hits you there? Well, you made mention earlier that he was number one on the team, mm-hmm. which that did not come to mind, but I've been looking at the last grades and he didn't play in that game, essentially. And, and that kind of, uh, you know, that kind of informed my, my guesses. But... Well, I don't think he's been their best offensive player. He's been their best running back. He's been good. And I would agree that when he hasn't been successful running the ball, it's because he's been swarmed. Which I also go back to, not the O-line, but the play. Because I don't think three offensive linemen blew their assignments at the same time. I think that the defense had keyed in on what USC was doing, and they had overwhelmed at the point of the attack. But, uh, yeah, I think, I think that's a logical assumption or conclusion to draw there, for sure. Yeah, anytime you got multiple guys in the backfield. Uh, but Cedric Ware has been really good, and I'm happy for him because he's a senior, and he's getting his opportunity. And, again, not my guess for number one. That grade seems a little bit high. Um, he hasn't been a factor really in the passing game. Not, you know, I'm not blaming that on him, but I would think that you know, you'd have to contribute a little bit more maybe for that grade. Uh, but good as a run as a as a pass blocker for the for a running back. Yeah, he's only been in on 46 passing plays all season according to PFF. Okay, so um, they're kind of pulling him on those. Yeah, he does have a 76.6 grade on pass blocking. That would make he, sense. Is, he is not the highest ranked pass blocking running back for USC, though. Bye bye. No, Stephen Carr. Really? 79.1. Yeah. Huh. That, another surprise. Yeah. And, and according to these stats, he's been in for 65 passing snaps. Okay. But but they're all they're all three very close. Vise at 73.6, so it's not a major yeah. disparity. All okay, right. so going, going yeah, back to little high, list. little high for me, but but good. Okay. Uh, a guy that many of us thought was probably the best player in the team the first couple of weeks, Amon Ross St. Brown, 75.5. Right. He fair? probably was. Yeah, you know, that that's fine. Not too high or too low. He probably was number one before the Utah game. I'm guessing that probably brought him down a little bit, his average. Yeah, the, the go-catchless. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we'll skip over Chris Brown because we covered the line. Uh Vi Malapai, 71.7. Yeah, in fact, they need to play him more. That's the conclusion I have on him, and that grade is fine, but the fact that he's just so far behind in work behind the other two 
He's a little bit baffling. He's only been on the field for 42 run plays all season, which I guess equates to his, his carries. I don't have that in front of me, but... So, yes. <laughs> so, they only bring him in when they're going to hand him the ball, which... <laughs> you're going to telegraph in there, man. <laughs> um, Michael Pittman, 69.9. Again, started slow. Yeah. Uh, has been the highest uh, graded player on the offense the last two weeks. Is it his two best weeks? Really coming into form right now, but overall, 69.9. Yeah, he had a couple drops early. I understand why that grade is there. If I were probably guessing, I would have guessed higher, but... It does make sense given a couple early weeks in the season where he didn't do much. And we've just seen that they're still really not in sync, uh, JT and his receivers. Um, even the, that touchdown that Pittman came up with versus Utah was remarkable, but it, it was a really badly thrown ball. And I don't know how they grade that, but I would give Pittman 100 just for that play. Yeah, and, and so that's a good thing you bring up. So when they when they grade the quarterbacks, I would guess that even though it was a touchdown pass, that JT probably got graded negatively on that play because they factor in potential what could have happened, and that was definitely an interceptable ball. That was begging to be picked off. Yeah, well, well the whole play was broken. Okay, going back to high snaps, it yeah. was a high snap. Yeah. He had a fender in his face instantaneously, somehow sidestepped him, threw off his back foot in double coverage. So, yeah, that, that should have never been a touchdown. That was all Michael Pittman. And if anything, in recent weeks, it seems like Michael Pittman's learned how to adjust yeah. to balls that are not put <laughs> where they're supposed to be. Hey, Ryan, did you know that other than that play, there was only one other back snap the entire game? Someone told me that. That's what that's what a wise man said. Oh, it's the truth. So we're going to we'll skip over Chuma and Austin because we had our offensive line chat. Uh, Tyler Vaughn's sixty-five point five. Yeah, that's that's low for him. I guess he's underperforming. I still believe in Vaughn's, and I, I really think that it's probably not because of him. He has had a couple drops too. I get it, but yeah, I don't know. I, he shouldn't be at that number. I guess that's kind of my takeaway from that. Uh, whether I think he's been better or worse this season it doesn't really matter. I think he just he shouldn't be down there. He should be in the seventies, and Pittman should be in the seventies. Amon Ross St. Brown is seventy-five, and these kids are below him. Yeah. They, they should all be probably in the same neighborhood, really. Yeah, if we've established that the seventies are kind of the bar for respectability or for for what players in a good offense would grade. I don't think that Vaughn's has played poorly. I, I just think that the offense is, and this is something that you touched on this week, is has tended to feature one guy. And so, so there's there's weeks where he's just not he's just not that guy that's, that's you know in the starring role. But maybe early on a couple missed opportunities, but I think he's been pretty solid since then. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. He hasn't been nearly as productive as we thought. Stats-wise, no. Stats-wise, definitely no. But is it a situation where you look at him and go, oh, he messed that play up or he missed that opportunity? I haven't no. had many of those moments with him. I don't think it's targeted that much either. Uh, moving on to Stephen Carr, aforementioned uh, 
best pass blocking running back on the team. 65.1. Another guy that shouldn't be down there. I guess that feels a, a bit low, but then there, there have been a couple games now where he just has not been able to get anywhere. And it looks a little bit different with him than it does with Ware and Vivai, where you kind of feel like he kind of has a, a, like a Le'Veon Bell approach, where he wants to kind of take an extra moment to, to go sideways and try to read the block and, and delay hitting the hole, but isn't able to get through it. And the coaches have intimated that you know he might be trying to hit the home run a little bit too often, and that might be why he's grading poorly. I, I still believe that he can be good, but he just has not really looked anything like we saw last September. I know you weren't here for that, right. but he was excellent. And he was, it was his first month of college football, and the conversation was, is he the next great USC running back? And sure. right now, he's the third best USC running back. And... My first impression coming in, I'm watching fall camp. I'm seeing a lot of these guys for the first time in kind of a consistent way. And he he was the guy on offense who impressed me more than anybody. He was the guy that I would have been most confident saying is going to have a monster season. And for just the entire watching. offense, right? Yeah, for the entire offense. Yeah. Just, just watching him in fall camp. Yeah. I, th- I thought, man, this guy is going to be a, a featured focal point, major playmaker for this team. And... We've seen a couple big runs. We've seen a lot of quiet games. I really think if he was in an offense that consistently created holes and he got through that first level, I, th- I think he, he would be that guy, make, turning those openings into, into big plays. But those openings are never there. And yeah. so if, if, if you can't get him through that first level, then you're not going to see what he can do in the, in, the, in the rest of the field. He doesn't seem to be a good match for what they do for him. Right, like where where Vivai is a more decisive runner, and Ware as well, and with this offensive line and this offense, I think that you have to be that way. I, it kind of feels like Carr is miscast in this offense right now. Yeah, you know, it just struck me. There was a really interesting quote after the game, and I hate that I'm drawing a blank. I think it was T where they were talking about the rushing struggles. And he said, you know, the way it was T, he said, with their defense, you have to get up field quick. You can't be dancing around. He goes, I knew with our style of running, it was going to be tough. <laughs> and it was just, it was just a, a, again, a really candid yeah. assessment of like, well, if that's the case, maybe. Well, then the guys should have gotten more than 10 carries then. Right. And, I mean, I understand that Ware went down first series, can't do anything about it. Maybe that would have been a better game for Ware and Vivai to be the two guys. But they ended up running Carr more than Vivai, despite being about half as productive. And going back to your point about them kind of having these preconceived notions about what to do and being too stubborn about it. And and you know what? It's not just a USC thing. I I think coaches outthink themselves a lot of times and uh, I've watched some very bad offenses at Florida the last two years and they did the same thing they they had their running backs coach decide which running back was going to go in and it was all preset 
and we'd sit there and watch clearly their best player carry the offense down the field and not play for two more series. And so I'm having like flashbacks right now. I, I really thought I had left uh, putrid offenses behind <laughs> on the East Coast, but uh, so many similarities right now. Yeah. Uh, so continuing down the list, uh, Bayless Jones, 63.2. Yeah, sure. I mean, he's made some big plays, but they're few and far between. And this is where I feel like, and I'm not putting this all on him, absolutely not, but I feel like this is what's hurting the passing offense, is that they don't get a lot of production from the slot position. And that could be coming from the quarterback, that could be from... The, the plays, I don't know. That could be the, the personnel. Whatever it is, you know, Deontay Burnett was so valuable with Sam Darnold working from that spot, working the middle of the field, opening things up everywhere else. Where it, I think it kept defenses honest when you had him crossing the middle. And the intermediate game for JT has just been non-existing at times. And when he does try to go there, he gets picked off a lot. And they're just not getting enough uh, from that position or working that position well enough. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, too, because when we get done with this list, I want to go a little deeper into some JT numbers that really break down those struggles in the intermediate passing zone. Um, But moving on, this is with a heavy heavy heart. This is tough for me to say. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, Trevon? Trevon Sidney. 61.3. 61.3. Such promise. Such a great start. Maybe in the end, you were right. Well, in, in Trevon's defense, he's barely played since the opener. Yeah. No, that's true. He's been on the field for 98 snaps all season. Okay, and I'm, I'm guessing a third of them were in the opener. Yeah, most likely. So... Uh, 61.3, not much more to say. It's it's about right for a, for a role player. And we move on down the line. Yeah, to... do, do, does this team have tight ends? I know they don't throw to them, but they're on the roster, right? Oh, that's that's going to be our grand finale. It's going to be our our big ending. Don't spoil it. Okay. First, first we'll, we'll give you JT Daniels, 58.9. And uh, we that's, a, that's higher than his completion percentage, at least. Hey, there you go. <laughs> well, uh, well, we certainly hit that topic pretty uh, ferociously on Monday, and we'll go deeper into the numbers here after the list. But is there anything you want to add right now before we move on to the uh, the aforementioned grand finale? Well, that's absurdly low for a USC quarterback. I feel like that's kind of low for him right now, meaning I would think that he would have graded higher. Uh, you'd mentioned that he had lower games than the Utah game. Yeah, so, so I'll go through the game by game yeah. here for him. I have okay. it in front of me. And and this is where, to me, again, the PFF quarterback grades are often the ones that give me the most pause or confusion. And... JT was graded lower lower than Utah in the Washington State game, which I don't think they win without him. He had a 54.5 in that game. Yeah. No, they, they, he was really good at the end. Yeah, he, he, he pulled them out of that and saved that game. So, And, and I, remember, I remember asking 
I, I reached out to PFF and asked them to explain that grade to me, and it was it was those plays that were not interceptions on paper, but that they felt should have been, and marked him down for that. Okay. So, but but his game by game grades here: UNLV was a sixty nine point two, Stanford a thirty nine point eight. That's the season low. Yeah. Texas a forty six point four. Washington State, 54.5. Really, his only good grade all season was the Arizona game, 86.8. And a, a 90 passing grade in that game. And what about Colorado? Colorado, 64.5. Huh. And then Utah, 59.6. So. It, it's always felt hard when it shouldn't. That That's my biggest takeaway with him. Uh, and, and that's not really about him. I feel like they haven't made it easy for him. They've treated him like he was Sam Darnold, redshirt, sophomore, two-year starter, uh, you know, future NFL quarterback. They, I mean, he really has only been there a couple months. He didn't have a spring. And they didn't give him a lot of first-team reps in training camp. I'm not going to let that go, ever. Yeah. And here he is, two months into his freshman year, and he's beat up, and he's really been inaccurate lately. That That's what surprised me, given how accurate he was in training camp. And he's working with some different guys there a lot of the time, and now he's not as accurate... <laughs> I, I don't know. I I don't quite I don't quite get it. I've I've tried to ask about it and haven't really been given a lot of insight as to why. Uh, we we see that he likes to throw up his back foot and he's off balance and you know he's probably not comfortable with with the the time that he has to work with because he, I mean he holds the ball too long at times too. It's not like he's always under pressure, but he doesn't seem to have a good feel for what he should and shouldn't do in the pocket yet. Sure. I, I think we're probably seeing a cumulative toll with him. He has taken some big hits. I think maybe maybe that's gotten in his head now. Um, it, I, you put it the best way when you said everything's been tough. And when I remain optimistic about his long-term potential, I factor in the fact that I don't think he's had any help this year. Aside from Michael Pittman turning interceptions into touchdowns occasionally. Uh, he, he hasn't gotten a lot of help, and I just don't know that I take that and dismiss the, the upside that I think is clearly in his skill set. And so that, that's where I come at with that. And I don't know that any quarterback is going to function well in this offense right now. I, I don't either. I, we're, we're in agreement there. I do feel like if he isn't able to practice at all the whole week, and he's beat up. If if he can, if he's cleared, I start him. But I would be open to playing Jack Sears to see what I have there if JT is ineffective, and and not just like oh he's struggling, but like he doesn't look like he's physically able 
right? Sure. I, I'm, I'm monitoring everything very closely right now with him because I, I'm with you. I, I'm pretty confident that he's the best quarterback on the roster. But is he the best quarterback this week? Like, that is where I don't know. That's where I have a much more open mind. And uh, I, I'd like to play Jack Sears if JT's ineffective. That's probably a fair way to phrase that question this yeah. week. Yeah. Well, like I said, we'll, we will go deeper into the numbers with JT, and I also put it on the website on uh, Tuesday if you got a chance to see it. So let's go a little bit deeper into um, the advanced stats that PFF has on JT Daniels, and I think it's really interesting. They break down all passing in the 16 tiers. There's behind the line of scrimmage, there's 0 to 10 yards, 10 to 20 yards, and 20 and beyond from the left, middle, and right side of the field. This will not surprise anyone who's watched USC play, but JT's lowest passing zone is over the middle, 10 to 20 yards down the field. Has he ever thrown one there? He's, he's 10 for 22 huh. for 211 yards, zero touchdowns, and four picks. So four of his picks have come in trying to squeeze passes in there. And I think we both agree that the lack of the intermediate passing game has been one of the major flaws in his performance and, and the offense's performance thus far. He, uh, he, hasn't gone, he hasn't gone outside left very often in the intermediate game, but outside right he's also 8 for 17 with a touchdown and a pick. So across that whole zone, 10 to 20 yards, he has one touchdown and five picks. And he's sub 50% completion percentage. So that speaks to those struggles. Um, he's He's been rated pretty well on the deep balls. He's rated a 72.8, uh, 20 yards and beyond to the left, a 70.8, 20 yards and beyond to the right. His two downfield picks have come between the numbers downfield. So when he works the sidelines, that's clearly been his comfort zone so far. And I think that pretty much matches what we've seen with the eye test. Well, I think defense probably have this figured out too. They know these tendencies. I'm not confident that USC seems to know them. It seems like they're not fully aware of what he's best at and what he's not. And, and how to match that up with what they're trying to do. And yeah. I mean, a year ago, going back to that slot receiver, you know, this was a bread and butter for Sam Darnold working that part of the field. Because when you do that, then it opens everything else up. But when, when you're just kind of working the boundary and going downfield, then, I mean, it's it kind of a waste. You know, and, and that's where people clamor for for tight ends to be more involved, and they're not. And the running backs, I think, can be working that part of the field uh, in the flats or even uh, in the you know short middle. But they don't throw to them except behind the line of scrimmage on uh, these delayed, predictable screens. Exceptional segue, Adam, because we're going to round out the offense with the two tight end grades. You can react to that, and then we'll, we'll go through the defense here. But the two lowest-ranked players on the USC offense are Tyler Petit at 41.9 and Josh Follow at 41.5. Gosh, and that's a huge margin from what the numbers that you were giving earlier with the other guys. Yeah. 
And I, I don't believe that's because they're so bad. They're, they're not so bad. In fact, Josh Fowler to me looks like he can be a great tight end. Tyler Petit is definitely serviceable, and he's a senior. And we saw him play much better football as a true freshman back in 2015. So, again, these grades are indicative to me of a bad system, not bad personnel. I will say that they both had drops, and their lowest rated area is in pass catching. Um, Tyler Petit is rated a 61.5 in pass blocking, and a 49.1 in run blocking. Josh Follow a 57 in pass blocking, and a 51 in run blocking. So, really not plus anywhere, but their lowest ratings are in the pass catching department that has knocked their overall rate down to the bottom. Yeah, and that's been on them. There definitely have been some drops. I can't defend that. I just don't think that USC has a bunch of bad players. I refuse to believe that. No, I'm with you. That's why almost every week until last week I picked them to win. I think the talent's there, and I just keep waiting for it to come together. And finally last week I decided I just don't have that confidence in it happening. I picked Utah yeah, I have, a, I have a quick question for you. Uh, it yeah. just reminds me of the fact that you were covering a different program the last few years, and you covered a few different programs. So just when you see them from an ability standpoint, compared to what you've seen in the past with Florida and others, does this team look like it has a lot of talent? Does it look like it's a more talented team than what you're used to covering? Does it look about the same, or does it look maybe slightly uh, worse? Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because that that may inform my JT opinion a little bit because I've I've seen truly bad quarterback play the last couple of years. I, I mean, truly bad quarterback play, and he's just so far more capable than what I've seen. That's maybe influencing my optimism. Whereas everyone in this fan base is used to a very high level of quarterback play that he's definitely not at yet, and that would explain our differing perspectives. In terms of the offensive uh, skill position players, I think the talent here ranks right up there. I think Michael Pittman is as good a receiver as I've covered uh, during my time at Florida, during my time here, elsewhere. I think I covered a more talented defensive team probably the last couple years than this. Sure. Uh, But on the offensive side, no, the, the, the playmakers are right there as good if not better uh florida might have had might have had better running backs but it's it's definitely an argument debatable i would give the nod here to the receivers and and the jt yeah and again i'm just i'm just not going to be your your go-to offensive line breakdown guy aside from saying well that didn't work so okay but you mentioned Pittman, and i'm glad you said that because we've seen him be the third best receiver at times as well and, I mean, he was incredible versus Utah, and I thought he's been really good the last few weeks. But we've seen Tyler Vaughn be the best receiver. We've mm-hmm. seen Amon Ross and Brown be the best receiver. Really, they're all good is what it is. And it's been a USC issue where really only one of them typically is on track and, and the other two are not, or maybe two yeah. of them. Exactly, and I think that's that's why we are in total agreement that the coaching and the play calling and the design of the offense and the structure of the offense has to get the bulk of the blame here because that is a very talented trio of receivers. And I just have to think that you can find 
ways to get more out of them on a, on a consistent basis. And and you, you brought up the point yesterday that you just mentioned, and it is a great point. It seems like it's always one guy. Like, one guy's on, and he's the guy this game. And that shouldn't be the case when you have three talents like that. They should play off each other and open things up for each other. They didn't hire a tight end coach. They hired a former receiver. Yeah. They like doing stuff like that. And I'm not trying to not carry Colbert. I don't know why he's not the receiver's coach. I feel like that would make more sense. Their receiver's coach is a quarterback who didn't want to be the quarterback's coach. I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> right? It, it's, got, it's kind it, of a throw your hands in the air moment. And what yeah. What can you say? Right. But the tight ends are, are at 41 grades. And they've, they've really almost done nothing in the Paxton game. Josh Follow goes to another team in the Pac-12, and he might be leading the conference in receptions among tight ends. That's who he is. That That's the caliber of player he is. And again, Tyler Petit, you know, not that guy, but he, he's a multi-year starter. He's played all four years. He's been healthy. I mean, he's had, like, little injuries, but healthy for the most part his entire career. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, I, I don't put that on the kids. I, just, I don't. Before we go to JT, I was able to pull up the in-depth receiving stats. I'm, I'm just going to give you the targets and receptions. Okay. Um, I think it's interesting stuff. St. Brown has been targeted 50 times 29 completions, 58%. Michael Pittman, 44 targets, 21 completions, 47.7%. And Tyler Vaughns, 50 targets, 30 completions, 60%. So among the top three receivers, no one is catching more than 60% of the passes, which, again, I don't think is on those guys so much. It's just, That's just the... State of the offense. Well, no, yeah. Last year, both Vons and Pittman were among the highest rated players in the country in in catch rate, you know, in terms of targets and catching mm-hmm. their targets. And, and the PFF has Pittman for zero drops, Vons for one, and St. Brown for two. That's interesting. Cause I, I do recall a couple drops from the other guys. Yeah, I think these numbers are low on the drops because I'm looking at Tyler Petit's numbers and they only have him for one drop. So I no. think we have to maybe yeah. dismiss those numbers. But a stat that we'll, we'll end on here before we go to JT, five interceptions on passes intended for St. Brown. That yeah. speaks to JT trying to force the ball to him and often on third downs or just – maybe staring down his route, maybe predetermining that's where he wants to go, just leaning too heavily on that comfort he has with his high school teammate. Yeah, that was the point that T. Martin had made about you know, the third downs, and he was targeted so often early in that game, I think three or four in a row. And T. 
she told you that <laughs> that wasn't the first read or you know that, that that play wasn't drawn up for that, but that's kind of where Daniels will go. Yeah, he, he said it's, it's not, all those plays aren't necessarily meant to go there. He, he has options. They got to coach that out of him. I mean, I, I get like they can't control him literally, but you would hope that they would they would help him work through that because this offense has only gotten worse. Where we watched that UNLV game and it was so promising, uh, especially the fourth quarter, that we figured, okay, they figured some things out later. It's game one. And wait till they get to mid-October and November. And they've just regressed in, it feels like, in every way, offensively. Yeah, it's it's hard to argue with that. I was I was thinking while you were talking, and you know, we've seen the potential of this offense in spurts. There's been a handful of spurts, like the second quarter against Colorado. Sure. Where you go, oh yeah, this is this is what it could look like, and then that's not only is that not the majority of time, but that's the minority of time. More yeah. often, we we see something completely stall, and it's, it's a weird dichotomy to be able to be that explosive at times. But the alternative is to complete other end of the spectrum. It's either we're going to totally stall, or we're going to light it up downfield. And that, when you have no intermediate passing attack and you have no run game, what are you left with? You're left with those two options. And they haven't really worked the quick game either. Uh, I mean, what about? I mean, <laughs> it's funny that we would even ask for this. Uh, I'm not sure if you're going to get this because you know, the bubble screen became the most overused play by USC. But now I think they're desperate to, to go to that and to implement more of that. Yeah, I mean, those are the things they have to try. Whatever they're not doing a lot of right now, I would start doing more of. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, whatever they do, they shouldn't do anymore. And whatever they don't do, that's what they should do. <laughs> So whatever self-scout they did over the bye week, that's my self-scout for them is stop doing what you're doing and do something different. Okay. Well, let's run through the defense real quick, the grades. Yeah, I, I, I want to I have you guess the top five. But then we'll go through and just one by one get your, your high or low reaction. So your top five guesses for the defense, USC defense. All right. For the season, I'm going to guess Cam Smith. He's number two. Port Augustine. Not in the top five. He's not in the top five. No, and and, and that's one that I would disagree <laughs> with as well. Okay. Uh, Marvel Tell. Nope. Not in the top five. That's not good for them. Biggie Marshall. Yes, he's number number three. John Houston. No. Yeah, I wasn't confident there, but you've already dismissed a couple that I would have sworn. Yeah. I mean, Kalano Hufunga. No. Okay. So I, you, got, you, got, you got two out of five there. So, so let's. I don't know if he'd maybe even make a cutoff for snaps, but I guess by now he probably has. Yeah, yeah, and, and in fact, number one is probably right at the cutoff or below. It's, it's Levi Jones. Yeah. Play, See, I didn't even think. I didn't even know that he'd be eligible. Yeah, he's, he's played 134 snaps, which okay. which is right about what EA has played. And definitely got to discuss EA. 
So Levi Jones is an 85.7. So the highest ranked player on the entire team. Doesn't start uh, and doesn't play that much. Is working behind John Houston. <laughs> that says a lot. So does that, does that great surprise you? Is that high, low? Is that... No, again, I mean, I feel dumb because I, he didn't even come to mind, but that's more because I was thinking more about the starters. At the same time, I've always thought that he was productive every time he played. Yeah. And it doesn't surprise me. No, I, that's a really high grade. That's significantly higher than anybody else in the team. Cam Smith is right behind him at 84.8. Um, you know, he's until missing pretty much the last two games. He was the rock of that defense, not coming off the field. Uh, him and Marvell both. He ranks at an 86.5 in rush defense, a 78.1 in tackling, a 82.1 in coverage. So he's been pretty solid across the board. Okay. Yeah, that, that would seem right. That guy, Greg, I mean, I think he's been great. I thought he, he's been their MVP. That's why I told Joey Copton last week in our yeah. mid-season awards podcast. Yeah. Uh, Vicky Marshall has played the second most snaps on the defense, 479, and he is a 77.9. He's gotten a 75.9 in pass coverage, an 89.8 in run defense, and an 86.4 in tackling. Yeah, he doesn't get credit for his tackling, uh, for his run defense. I think he's been excellent altogether. He's really not given up much. He's had a couple penalties, but you're playing corner, and that's just going to happen. I think he's been great. He, he has, in the PFF stats, which they kind of keep their own numbers, he has 21 tackles and two missed tackles, which is a pretty good ratio Yeah. overall. Uh, next on the list is Jay Tufeli. Uh, 77.7. Another non-starter. Yeah, and, and he's a guy that you've been, you've been pushing the last couple of weeks and he's playing more, and, and I totally agree with you. He just seems to be around the ball, seems to make big plays. All right, who's next? Okay, next is our first major surprise. Are you ready for it? Yeah. Are, are you sitting down? <laughs> I am. Okay. Isaiah Langley, 74.1. I'm surprised. I, I really am too because now I've, I've scrutinized the game-by-game game numbers on him, especially after the Washington State game when they just picked him apart and they went after him and Greg Johnson because they clearly sensed the vulnerability and they attacked it. Uh, so I went through all his numbers at that point, and he really hasn't been challenged that much in the other games. According to the PFF numbers, he'll have two or three targets against him uh, and – mostly of the short yardage variety. So I think that is maybe influencing the score. But he, in the Washington State game and in the Utah game, he was picked on, and the other team has benefited from that both times. Well, what's interesting about that is that I know that Biggie Marshall has not been targeted that much either. So if neither of the corners have been targeted, then it's got to be the nickel, and then a safety in coverage or a linebacker in coverage. Well, so I'll give you the season stats here. Um, overall, through, what, seven games, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Biggie Marshall has 22 targets, given up 12 receptions, 405 yards. Yeah, that's not and, many. I mean, that's three targets a game. Yeah. But they they, they do it uh, they do it weird where they have yards after the catch as a separate category. Yeah. So I think, I think the 105 is just like the yards in the air. Okay. And then 17 after the catch for him. 
Uh, for Langley, he's had 33 targets, given up 20 catches for 261 yards plus 87 yards after the catch. Okay, about five targets per game. Yeah. There's still only eight between them, which is very little when they're probably, you know, opposing teams, I'm guessing, are throwing the ball about 30 times a game. Yeah. Um, so let's breeze through this list, though, so I can get out and do some recruiting today. You're recruiting uh, now. That's wonderful. Recruiting, recruiting coverage. I should definitely clarify that. Okay. I, I couldn't tell. On this, <laughs> on this beat, you never know. Right. Right. Uh, Christian Rector is next <laughs> at 72.6. How does that grade strike you? I would think he'd been lower, personally, because he hadn't really had the impact that we envisioned. However, when I talked to Clancy Pendergast last week, he said that Rector's been doing a lot of things for them that do not show up in the box score and has been disruptive in maybe a different way than he had last year. He had a very good game versus Utah, so it would make sense now that that number would be there. But from the eye test, I would have guessed lower coming into, you know, coming into last week for sure and just in general. His lowest category is tackling. He's a 49.1 for tackling. They have him for 15 tackles, three assisted, and five missed tackles. And that's kind of what shows up in the box score, and that's kind of what we're seeing. Yep. Uh, EA, Paula EA, want to finish it for me? Nah, okay, okay. 70.7. Okay, yeah, he's only played, what, like really two full games and then some other work and others? Yeah, 140 snaps, which again compared to Marvell Tells played 533, so he's played, yeah. yeah. But uh, he's been good. He, he was uh, maybe not as good last week as he was the week before. It's going to be hard for him to just step in and play middle linebacker. But given that he's still one of the highest rated players, when Cam comes back, you got to get EA on the field. We yeah. said it before, and... I'm going to repeat it because I'm not confident that they're going to do it, but I think you moving outside linebacker the moment that Cam is ready. He's rated an 86.4 in rush defense, and his grade's knocked down. He's a 53.6 in coverage, and we saw him actually get get beat for a touchdown sure. uh, against Utah. But, you know, that's, that's to be expected. He, he has, that's an area where he's going to develop as he learns. And, yeah, and that's not even what he's out there for right now. Exactly. Yeah, that, that was that was a it was Utah with a good play call, picking apart that matchup effectively. Um, Marlin, tweet below two. Okay. Seventy point six. Yeah, I guess uh, we 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 were saying that sixty five is about average. I don't know. I I thought he's been kind of quiet. Those those uh, inside defensive linemen have been kind of interchangeable it seems yeah. this season uh, his lowest grade and this is one of the lowest grades in any category for anyone on the defense is tackling he's a 28.5 in tackling interesting they have him they have for seven tackles four assisted and seven missed tackles hmm and that that's the only grade anywhere in that range for anyone in any category yeah uh Jenna Harris 70.6 yeah, Jennings has been a little up and down. Uh, he played better football last year, but Jenny has a lot of value. I, I, when, what we're seeing, I think, and maybe you can back it up with the numbers, he's getting targeted a lot, and there have been times where he's really struggled with that. 
Yeah, he, he's the most targeted player on the team. That's what 40, I figured. 41 targets, 24 completions. Okay. So that's about six a game, and they're completing more than three a game on him. Yeah. Which three completions a game doesn't feel like a lot, but I guess it adds up in a way. Uh, we've just seen some big plays that have gone against him. There was a big one in the Utah game. Uh, again, a JNA has value in, in multitude of ways uh, in terms of setting the defense. Uh, he had a pick six. It's been kind of a, a boomer bust for them. Yeah. He's actually, despite those numbers, he's a 73.8 in coverage for them. His low category is tackling 50.8, where he has eight missed tackles, which is second on the team behind Marvell, who has 10. Okay. And that Marvell, to, Marvell's number one. Yeah, and missed tackles. Now, now he has... Again, these are the PFF tackle stats. They keep their own. They have him for 26 tackles, 7 assisted, 10 missed. That's a um, And he's next on the list. He's a 70.2 overall. And obviously marked down for his tackling. He's uh, pretty high in coverage, a 74.4 in coverage. Huh. But, I mean, but his tackling is probably more important uh, for the position that he plays. Sure. He's not sure. in coverage very much. He's a free safety. He's helping, but he's not hes not a primary defender in coverage oftentimes. And he gets the benefit of the doubt, I feel like, but, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, when, when you're talking about being an All-American and, and you're in all, your, your first team All-Conference, USC needs more. I'm surprised that the tackling has been such an issue for a couple of these players. Yeah. So probably the most surprising grade for the defense is Porter Gustin for me. 68.9. Just a guy that we real I really felt when he when he was on the field was making a real impact and whose presence was really missed and I don't understand that grade necessarily. Your reaction, Adam. Yeah, I'm with you. I thought he did get up to a bit of a slow start. I remember writing a column through three games and mentioning who I thought was playing good football at that point and I pointed to Amon Ra on offense is really the only guy and then defensively I highlighted Cam Marvell and Biggie and that was it and, and that's who I, I thought had played well in each of the first three games where Porter had maybe played well in two of them but before he got hurt, he was looking like their best defensive player at that point. Now, in totality, I would go with Cam, who is injured now, and as we learned on Wednesday, is out for Arizona State and might be out longer because his knee's acting up now. That's uh, something that we didn't know before. Uh, we, we knew about the hamstring, but I'm thinking that the knee might have been the underlying issue that they just weren't telling us about. He had his knee drained, he had injections, and Clay said he could come back next week, but he's been saying that for a while. It, it's hard to say right now. I'm not yeah. saying that he's out for multiple weeks, but 
don't be surprised if that is the case. With Porter, we know he's out for the year. Before that, he was tagged as a mid-season All-American, which I thought was really nice for him because his college career is over. Uh, whether he was really that guy or not, I'm with you. I think he was really important for the defense and uh, arguably the, the MVP of the first half defensively. And I don't really know what goes what all goes into that grade with him yeah. in particular. I, I'm going to say this is one they missed on because they had him, his pass, his pass rush isolated grade was 66.9. No. And he, and he was leading the Pac-12 in sacks when he got hurt. <laughs> yeah. and, and they have him down for one missed tackle all season. So, okay. I, I, again, we're going to accept there's a margin of error here sure. in some of these numbers, and I think that's one they missed on. Yeah, it gives them past the eye test. Kanai, 68.5 yeah. on only 83 snaps. Right. I was, I was going to bring it up because they haven't used him nearly as much as it looked like they were going to coming out of training camp, and he has been quiet, so the grade doesn't feel wrong, but... I'm just surprised that we don't get more of him. Uh, I, I do feel like there have been spots among that linebacker unit where why, why wouldn't he play more? If it, I know that they were really high on him. And he's not the biggest guy, and he's still young. And I'm sure that he'll continue to grow. He talked about that quite a few times. Uh, from the moment he arrived, that they've been working on him to, to get bigger, and he did get bigger. He, I think he's put on about 30 pounds. Uh, so he's someone that I'm, I'm really curious about moving forward because it's in a situation where he's not big enough to play where they want or where they're trying to use him on the outside. It might be that. Right. He might have to play inside where smaller linebackers are playing now? I don't know. But I think he should play more. This next one also surprises me a little bit. But I will admit that I don't necessarily hone in on the interior defensive linemen all game long. Malik Dorton, 67.1. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just feel like, I, like I've noticed him... More than that grade would indicate. Okay. Moving down the list, Liam Jimmins. He's only played 84 snaps. 66.9. Yeah, I guess. I, yeah, I don't I don't really have a take on, on either one of them, really. Sure. Uh, again, those guys on the inside have been pretty interchangeable, so it's it's hard to have a long, uh, a long hot take on, on them. C.J. Pollard, uh, very briefly, a starting safety, has played 153 snaps, grade 65.9. Wait, he's higher than Talanoa? Uh, barely. Huh. That's interesting, if nothing Pollard, else. Pollard, 153 snaps, Talanoa, 352, and the grades are 65.9, 65.2. So they're they're pretty equal with Talanoa having played now more than twice as many snaps. Yeah, quite a few more. 
Yeah, I don't have as much of a take on Pollard. With, with guys that have, have been, you know, rotational guys, unless they really stand out, and I'm even Kanai, where, like, I, I want to see more of him, but we haven't seen him do a whole lot. But Talanoa, I'm assuming, is next. He is next. Yeah. And, and, and he's marked down a bit for his coverage, a 63.8 rate on coverage. And that was probably influenced by the Utah game where I thought it might have been his worst game in coverage. Okay. He, he, he was he was targeted a lot, and, and a lot of those were completed. So that probably pulled him down a little bit. I'm high on him. I would think he would grade higher. Uh, coverage, though, it might not be there yet. I know he he's made the point over and over about, you know, in high school, he played safety completely differently. And he played it like a linebacker, it sounded like. And he could kind of do whatever he wanted to do. And he probably had some bad habits and probably hasn't really been in coverage very much ever. Yeah, he's a guy like EA where I think his biggest strengths right now are his natural instincts. Yeah. But the coverage stats for him for the season, let's get them here. He's been targeted 19 times, given up 13 receptions. So, yeah, that's that's not been a, a great strength of his yet. But, again, he's, he's a true freshman starting. He's, he's one of the guys you would be excited about for this defense moving forward into the future. Yeah, I, as we talk about the defense compared to the offense, I feel like there's a lot of promise on this side of the ball moving forward. And he's someone like EA that I think are they're probably going to be great. Yeah, again, just instincts like guys that just seem to be in the right place a lot of times or in the place to make big plays. And when you see that immediately from somebody, I, I, that's the one thing that you either have or don't. I think like if if you play instinctually, yeah, yeah. that's that's something you've already brought to the table. You're not going to so much learn that you can learn technique you can refine coverage skills but these guys are showing a high level of kind of anticipation of what's coming yeah and putting themselves in position to make plays so i i would agree that the ceiling's incredibly high for both those guys yeah i felt that way about isaiah pull him out as well in you know the game that he played and uh i figure you know next year between him and talanoa that could be formidable for sure. Next on the list, Brandon Peely, 65. His grade is brought way down by tackling. He has the second lowest tackling grade on the team, 36.9. And again, according to PFF's own stack keeping, they have him for two tackles, two assisted, and three missed tackles. So Peely and Tui Pelotu, really poor tackling. Really way down there. That would be a good question for... Coach Kamichi Daisy. Yeah, it sure would be. Yeah, I, and that's something that coming out of training camp, you're not going to know because there isn't a lot of tackling in practice, as everyone's well aware of. And it, it would be hard to to pick that out. I wonder if if the coaches had their suspicions about that, about that being a problem. I don't know, but I I was high on Pee Wee coming into the year, so I, I feel like not that you know I'm debating the grade, but 
um, more that I'm lamenting the grade. Well, he's only played about a quarter of the snaps this season. Yeah, he's been. Does that, does that surprise you? Quarterback. Well, he wasn't healthy for a little bit, and and they just kind of committed to Marlin. I guess that does because I thought that there really wouldn't be one guy. I thought that they would. And they did do rotate, but I thought they would do it even more. I thought Peely could probably be ahead of Marlin. Uh, I just feel like he brought a little bit more to the table as a pass rusher. And, and that's unique at that spot. Um, but I, I can't I can't argue that he needs to play a lot more because he hasn't played as well as he probably can with the time that he's gotten. Sure. Uh, so we're in the home stretch now on the defense and, and the roster. You got what we're calling it? <laughs> sure. Uh, Isaiah Polamal, uh, 63. Of course, only played two games. I mean, one game, he he played a series of games, too. So. Yeah, you're right, you're right. So, Which is uh, weird, then. So he he played that one game where he was excellent, but he wasn't great and got high for it. He is marked down for his run defense, uh, 53.2. He, and he led the team in tackling. In that opening. And, and, and his tackling, 49.9. That's funny. So he should, I, mean, I think he had, what, nine tackles or seven? I forget what it was. Uh he, he was supposed to have 15, apparently, in this game. Well, I, you know, again, uh, without watching the tape and scrutinizing it, maybe they saw plays he was supposed to make and he didn't. Yeah. It's, uh, tackling stats can be so misleading. You, you can you cannot be a game-changing, impactful player and still rack up some tackles. Yeah. Or you or you can be a game-changing player and, and, and not. not have 15 tackles. So, right. uh, Moving on, John Houston. 62.4. Okay, well, Houston, I believe, came off a good game last week. But for the year, he's down here, you know, in the teens among USC players. And the number one player was the guy that backs him up, that plays, right. I think, like about 20 to 25% of the time. Levi Jones played 134 snaps. John Houston, 409. Okay. Yeah. I think that's about 20% right there. So, <laughs> I don't even know if I can say it. <laughs> like, what are you doing? What, yeah, Clancy, what are you doing? I, and the only thing I'm going to say as a devil's advocate is we don't know how much... They need him in there for intangible things. Like with Cam out, he's been doing the bulk of the communication. Yeah, I, I don't know if with Cam in there, how how much he's needed for those kind of things. But I would have to believe that that's probably a factor in why he's out there as much. It's because a trust factor and there things he brings beyond the stats that the coaches feel they have to have. But I. That's that's for them to confirm or deny. I'm not sure. Sure. Now, in your opinion, who has made a bigger mark for you between Levi and Houston? Oh, Levi, really until the last couple of games, John Houston was not a guy that I noticed much. Like When I thought back to the game, I didn't think of John Houston plays. Whereas in the limited time we've seen Levi, he's been exciting. In fact, I, after his first really big game, I wanted to do a story on him, and he was out sick that whole next week, so we never did it. But 
he's definitely a guy who has shined for me in in briefer moments. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to give you a stat here that will... Uh, Blow my mind? I was going to go for a different <laughs> turn of phrase so as to keep it fresh. But anyways, uh, John Houston has been targeted 21 times on passes yeah. and has given up 15 receptions. 15 for 21. Is that bad? It is less than ideal. 71.4%. Yeah. So, uh, moving on, a guy that fans would like to see a lot more of, and maybe if he's getting closer to being healthy, you might, given what happened last game to Isaiah Langley, the very well-rated Isaiah Langley. Elijah Griffin, 62, has only played 81 snaps, has been out with a shoulder injury last week or so. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't have a big take on the grade, uh, and he's not healthy. I can't really vouch for him. Yeah, it's a, it's a tiny sample size, and we really haven't seen him. Yeah. I mean, even when he was supposed to rotate reps with with Langley after that Washington State game, he ended up not. Right. So we haven't seen him get a real extended run yet. I didn't feel like he performed so well in training camp and leading up to the opener, that he had to play a lot. I never felt that way. I felt like he had a good amount of potential, and you know, being a freshman corner, which is really hard, um, I think Adoree kind of spoiled everyone. But, uh, I mean, Biggie started as a freshman too, which is really rare. At, you know, Go find another four-year starter at USC at cornerback. But I did look at Elijah and think, like, you can grow into a good cornerback, for sure. I did think that. But then watching what happened to to Langley and Greg Johnson in the middle of the year, then that's where I figured, okay, like, you got to throw Elijah Griffin out there. And, and that's much different than quarterback, where, like, okay, your quarterback's struggling, but, you know, you got to be patient with that, and there are a lot of factors, and you don't want to pull the trigger too quickly with your quarterback. Fine. But cornerback? I, I, I don't get why he wouldn't be playing more. Yeah. And, uh, and now we'll see. He has to be healthy, of course. But I do think that in this month of November – you want to establish him if you can, because next year... He's going to have to play. Well, he's like their number one guy, potentially. Yeah. Not, not just have to play, but look at... look. At, everybody's leaving. And Biggie gone. Langley gone. Ajene gone. Lockett, who they don't play, gone. Yeah, it's going to be a separate podcast we'll have to do leaving up the signing day, kind of assessing that spot. And unless things change here, the rest of their recruiting class, that's going to be a really interesting position to watch next fall. And, and one that I just don't know how much confidence you can have at this point that they're going to have the answers to all the questions they're going to face. Yeah. I, real quick final note on him. You have to play to win. You have to coach to win. Unless he's like costing you, 
I think you have to play him. I think that 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 goes into running a program year to year. And and right now they're not playing for a national title, but I get that they're playing for the Pac-12 South, and they're you know the coaches are, are coaching for their jobs to some extent. To to what we don't know exactly, but uh, that's the kind of player that you you want to work him in because like like I just mentioned. He's going to be very important in a year from now, and if if he hasn't played much this year, then I think you're you're really hurting yourself moving forward. Adam, this week of all weeks, you should know you play to win the <laughs> game. But no, I, I agree with your point. You're right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so sticking with that spot. Greg Johnson's right behind him at 61.9, has played 157 snaps, um, was splitting time with Langley, got moved over to being Biggie's not so often used backup. Yeah. Hasn't, hasn't, hasn't quite seized his opportunities this fall. No, yeah, the guy great is, you know, right on, I guess. Uh, he's he's at 18 targets, 11 completions allowed for those that bad? It's not as bad as 71.4%, but it's, yeah, it's not good. Uh, Hunter Eccles, a guy we may see more of the rest of the season, has only played 79 snaps, uh, 61.2. He So PFF, with all their in-depth numbers and their cool metrics, they also have a great visual presentation where they color code all these numbers. And so the better it is, it's blue or green. The worst it is, it's yellow and orange. And then there's just a few red splotches throughout this thing, and we've already touched on a couple of them. We have another one right here, a red splotch, Mr. Hunter Eccles tackling 38.9. Oh. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's something that stuck out to me. I know his name came up on that that big reverse by UNLV back in the opener. Right, yeah. But uh, throughout the year, not not really thinking about it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, tackling, I thought, as a whole, had been pretty good prior to the Utah game. But um, that would be coaching. That's a coaching thing. I went through the numbers, the, the USC box scores, so the official stats. No, I, no, I'm sorry, it was the BFF stats, and uh, the 16. They had 16 missed tackles at Utah. That was actually their second worst this season. I think it was the Washington State game where they had 17 missed tackles. So it wasn't their worst tackling game overall, but okay. definitely not good. And, and again. With Hunter Eccles, this is still a small sample size yeah. to judge. Yeah. If it, This is not to say if he played 300 snaps the rest of the season that his tackling number would remain that low. So take that with a grain of salt. Uh, we are almost to the end. A few more guys. Jacob Lichtenstein, 61.2, has played 68 snaps this season. Probably not much more to add than that. No. And we go all the way down to Jordan Iosefa. We are now in the sub-60 threshold. 
for the last three guys. Jordan Iosefa, 57.2 grade on 285 snaps. And that hurts because he plays a lot. And he re- replacing Uchenna Nwosu, who was their best player last year. I haven't really been able to crack this case. I thought Iosefa was primed for a breakout season. And I'm not alone in that. Uh, people smarter than me were really high on him as well. I'm not really sure what's happening there because Clancy's made it abundantly clear that he's as knowledgeable as anybody on the defense right there with Cam. And yet has not been productive. Uh, Stand-up kid. I like talking to him. I'm just very, very surprised that his grade is there. I don't have my own grade for him or anything. I do realize that he has not played really well. But, uh, you know, he's not a particularly athletic kid. And, and so maybe he's just getting beat in that way. But he, he was one of those guys that I did like his instincts. Yeah, I, I did like his feel. I felt like uh, he just was active. You know, his hands uh, kind of was good at identifying things and and tracking things. And I just figured that he would be a really solid player, you know, at minimum. And maybe he still will be. I'd forgotten this to to a degree. I was talking to a. Uh, to a player's parent, actually, and as we were talking, it, it dawned on me that they have a lot of first-year starters on this team. Now, yeah. I know that they have a few true freshmen that they're playing, and maybe they didn't plan to play as much, like a Hufunga. I'm not really talking about that. I mean just guys that have been in the program but hadn't played a lot. And it probably goes back to coaching then. If, like, they're stepping in and they've been in the system, they just hadn't had meaningful game experience. But that's what everybody's dealing with. I mean, across the country, you're, you're always having to replenish and you're always replacing starters. No one yeah, goes back 22, right? Right, that's that, that's the mark of a, of the consistent programs. Yeah, are the ones that always have guys ready and primed to step in, and no one does it better than Alabama, who we talked about earlier. Right, they, they just they just groom new stars every year. So let me give you an example real quick of what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about quarterback, right? I'm not talking about safety with the true freshman. No, no, I'm talking about running back. Even though it's been a committee, whoever it is, they're a they hadn't started before, right? And, and they're all getting more work than they gotten before, ever before. Uh, and, and they haven't really been the problem, but that's an example. Okay, Bayless Jones, third year, starting. You need more from that. You need more from, uh, from a position where you're, he doesn't have to be John K. Burnett overnight, but why isn't he more productive? And I'm not saying that's because of Ailis. I don't think it is, actually. Left tackle, Austin Jackson, he played last year. 
Didn't play a lot, but he played. Year two. It's it's been hard at times. Okay, defensive line. It first year starters there. Whether it was Peely, Marlon Tui Pelotu, they got some work last year. They're getting more this year. Their grades are not reflective of someone that had really taken a big step forward from their freshman year to their sophomore year. Then strong side linebacker, that's Iosefa. Year three. Played last year, but a first-year starter this year. And in that corner, you you had Langley, a senior, and Greg Johnson, sophomore. These guys, and he played last year, too. These guys don't look like like they're prepared in, right. in some respects. And not all the time. It's not like a, meant to be a blanket statement, but that's just a lot of positions there where you need these kids to be further along. And again, they're gonna they they probably bear the brunt of the blame uh, from you know from the public. And the more I watch this team, and the more I think about it, I don't think it's on them. I mean, they're, they have blood in their hands, sure, but I have to look at who's leading them. Uh, and I think that's probably becoming the majority opinion. And those who have been reluctantly in the other camp, probably a lot of them were converted on Saturday with that Utah game. And when you look at the totality of now, the, the three toughest games, the three most three biggest games of the year so far, all one-sided. There is only a common, one common denominator there, one overarching thing you can draw. And we touched on it the other day. It's There's clearly something broken in the way this team's being coached. And those games were against good coaches. Coaches that we know are good. Yeah. And, and that was something that we talked about on an earlier episode where there are no bye weeks in the Pac-12 in terms of coaching. You don't have someone to prey upon. I don't think. I think, I mean, the South Division is littered with coaches that are accomplished. Yep. Well, we have uh, we have pushed the boundaries here on this one. I'll just go wrap up the last two guys and we'll tie a bow on this. Ruben Peters, who has not played much, was obviously needed in the Colorado game more yeah. than ever, 54.6. And Jonathan Lockett, 37.7, but only 24 snaps this season. Like you mentioned earlier, even when they've struggled in the areas where he might be an option, they have not really turned to him. No, that, that must be physical because he had been such a good role player for them two years ago. And had to sit out a year, and I have to think that he must not be right because uh, just a very dependable player, a very cerebral player, and given some issues they've had uh, in the defensive backfield, I thought for sure that Lockett would be a regular, and he's barely played and apparently not grading out very well. But I know he's better than that. Yeah. 
Well, I know that took a while, but our subscribers who have gotten the weekly PFF reports every week have uh, seemed to be very interested in that data, and we thought it would be a good time to really break out the, the season-long stats for the first time. So hopefully that was uh, eye-opening in some ways or, or interesting. But we appreciate you tuning in again. And I would just uh, I would tease a story. If you're looking at our site on Thursday, I met with Chris Steele on Wednesday night mm-hmm. after, after his practice at St. John Bosco. And everyone's had theories and opinions and reports. We've had our own reports as to why he decommitted from USC. And I uh, had a pretty good talk with him. He was, he was pretty candid. I think that the comments he made would tie into some of the stuff we just talked about. That'll be my tease. But that's on our site. If you're not a subscriber, you knew it was coming. This is the the uh, the staple of the podcast, the time when I, I tout our great promo, our 60-day free trial. Sign up, promo code USC60, by the end of this month and get 60 days to enjoy all our premium content and see if it's for you. So give us a chance. Thanks for listening. And Adam will be back on Friday with Yogi Roth and my favorite podcast of the week, even though it's the one I'm not on, Ask the Expert. Yeah. Thank you. I'm I'm glad that you love it. (laughs) I do. So we'll catch you next time, guys. Thank you. All right. Be good.